Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Well, welcome to worship on this beautiful Sunday in 1956 at First Methodist Church in our booming little town of Bentonville, Arkansas. Did you know we have about 3,000 people living here now? Soon enough, I suppose we will actually have to get a stoplight to control all this traffic. My name is Miss Morris, and I am delighted to welcome you here with us today. If this is your first time here, we would love to know you're with us. We'd love to get your name and your address and the little pads that are placed around. And if it is your first time here, our ladies have knitted some beautiful little prayer squares for you. So come see me after the service, and we will give you a prayer square. And speaking of prayers, there is certainly a great deal to pray for today. Of course, we need to remember our veterans as they have fairly recently returned home from Korea. I understand our own beer and hymns will be raising money to support veterans today. I'm not sure about the beer, (laughs) but I support the hymns. And it will take place in Taunty Town, so please go. We are so grateful for their service and their defense of freedom. Of course, sometimes I think we can have a little too much freedom. Did you see that Elvis on the Ed Sullivan show? Shaking his body around like some hooligan. We definitely need to pray that our youth are not corrupted by such things. I hope this new show, American Bandstand, has more wholesome performances. There are some good things about progress, though. Did you know that the Methodist Church has just approved women to serve as pastors? Imagine that. Can you imagine me being a pastor? Our nation has also just approved the motto, In God We Trust, to be printed on our money. And Hollywood has finally given us some wonderful entertainment in the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston as Moses. Now, I know we Christians aren't supposed to go to the movies, but we Methodists always do things a little differently. And it seems like that is a perfectly fine movie to go see. That is, if you can gather the 40 cents it will cost to go. Perhaps if you are lucky enough to have a job at Walton's Five and Dime, which just opened a few years ago here in downtown, you can afford to go to the movie house. Oh, I know I have said too much. I was just supposed to get up here and welcome all of you. I suppose I have done that and more so. If I didn't cover everything, there are some pieces of paper that share more about what's going on. We are truly delighted to have you in this beautiful new house of the Lord. May you always feel welcome in this space. Is this thing on? I have a good friend from years back. I wish he was here right now. He's much more charismatic than me. And uh, if he was here right now after this song, he would have said, Whoa! (laughs) Now, I'm more subdued than that, so I I have to say that was really good. Friends, I want you to know that Pastor Michelle is capable of getting anybody to do anything. (laughs) She told me that I was supposed to take the book of the prophet Isaiah and talk about that, and then talk about the silent generation, 
and put all of that in about 13 minutes. I was supposed to dress appropriately for that generation. Black suits, all I could think of. That's, that was kind of formal. Except that I couldn't find the hat to go with it. I, Matt had a great hat. I didn't have a good hat. So I just brought my vacation Bible school hat. <laughs> I don't know what else to do. As I said to somebody earlier, after 41 years of preaching, you'd think I wouldn't be nervous. But I've never preached to a group I wasn't assigned to. I was preaching in my own church, to my own congregation. That I'm used to sitting out there with you. And it's different. But let me try. Let's talk about Isaiah. Now, I couldn't stand history when I was in school. I hated learning dates. So I'm not going to overburden you with a lot of dates and learning details. Let me tell you the prophet Isaiah just covers about, about 200 years of history of the Jewish people. Starting about eight, well, 700 and something years before Christ. And it's an interesting story, and I would advise you to read it sometime. It's a great story, not only the prophet Isaiah, but the stories of the history of the people. We've been studying that on Wednesday night and Sunday morning now for almost a year, and it's overwhelmingly wonderful, even for somebody like me who's read the Bible, I don't know how many times, but getting back to it, Isaiah, 200 years. I mean, that's our own country is just almost 250 years old, but... 200 years, and it covers Isaiah, the prophet, actually is at least three prophets because one didn't live 200 years. So there's a first part of Isaiah, there's a middle part of Isaiah, and there's a last part because in the history of those people, the first part of Isaiah is about when the Assyrians conquested the northern kingdom, were about to at least, and you've heard the lost tribes of Israel. They weren't lost. They were scattered. And the Assyrians just kind of came in and moved them around, and they really ceased to exist as such. But Jerusalem got spared. The Judeans got spared through a miracle for a few years, which is another story. Then another group, the Babylonians, came along and destroyed Jerusalem and carried their people away to Babylon. They didn't scatter them. They just picked them up and moved them to Babylon. Not all of them, just the leaders. So you had a leaderless group left. And they stayed there for a long time. A whole generation. Oh, certainly a few of those who were original probably went back eventually. But the second Isaiah is about that time when they're hoping, hoping to go back home, to rebuild their temple, which was destroyed to put the city walls back together. And then the third last section of Isaiah is some other prophet who's claiming that name in Isaiah's name talking about that return when it happened. Because when a new king came into power, he said, why are all these people here? Send them back home. Give them some money to rebuild their temple and their city walls and, and they won't be our responsibility anymore. They can just pay tribute to me. And so they start back. Now, that's the nutshell idea of what Isaiah is all about. But let me share with you some scripture. Now, if I was really going to do this in the era of the silent generation, I'd be reading from the King James Version, but I'm going to spare you that because I'm sparing myself. <laughs> that middle section that has to do with what's happening in Babylon, you've got to realize just how desperate they were. Not desperate in the same sense of the silent generation who went through the World War II and the Great Depression, 
but they were away from home, and they hated the fact they were there. And if you want to get a flavor for how much they hated it, all you got to do is go to the Psalms. And you go to the Psalms and you find Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, that's Jerusalem, on the willows there we hung up our harps, for our captors ask us for songs, and our tormentors ask us for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And the psalm ends with this kind of word. O daughter of Babylon, you destroyer, happy shall be who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. Do you hear it? Do you hear that, that incredible vitriol, but then they get to go back. And second Isaiah, that middle part of Isaiah, he's encouraging. The first part of Isaiah is warning them, destroying is happening. You're fixing to be taken away into Babylon. You're going to be in exile. But the middle of Isaiah, the one who prophesied in the middle, we don't know who that was. All the stuff he's got crammed together in one book. He's hopeful. He starts out his section saying, comfort, comfort my people. It's a cry to God to comfort the people. And ends the whole section with the scripture passage for today. The word has come down. They're going to go back. Listen to this. Isaiah 55, starting in verse 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up myrtle. It shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for the everlasting sign shall not be cut off. Joy. You shall go out with joy. You see, here's the message I have for us, is that God always wants joy for us. Always. We don't always find it, but it's always there in God's desire for us. If we go to the New Testament, in 15th chapter of John, we find these words of Jesus. As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. All right. Now I have given you the Old Testament and I have given you the New Testament. Let's talk about the silence how this relates to it. I'm not a silent generation. I'm an early, early baby boomer. But Michelle says, <clears throat> you're the closest thing I got to it preaching to Doe. <laughs> Been working with this book, I think all of us have, called Generations. And I can't pronounce her last name. Twinge? Something, Gene M. Twinge, PhD. Brand new book about the generations. And I say it because I, I haven't got the original, I've got what she quotes. How did they get to be called silence? Those born between 1925 and 1945, about Time Magazine, 1951. The most startling fact about our younger generation is its silence. With some rare exceptions, youth is nowhere near the rostrum. By comparison with the flaming youth of their fathers and mothers, today's younger generation is a still, small flame. It does not issue manifestos, make speeches, or carry posters. 
It's been called the silent generation. And so it was dubbed. Now, friends, my parents were part of that generation. And let me tell you something. It was not a silent generation. <laughs> not at all. But it was different. No one person in any generation fits the total profile of that group. We're all individuals. But when you take a collective group and you examine them as a group, you come up with some common characteristics. And they weren't the kind, for the most part, who were out there as their mothers and fathers had been. Strange things happened to that generation. Now, I'm not talking about those just born 25 to 45. I'm talking about my parents as their young adults raising a family in their young adulthood. Amazing things were happening, but reflecting upon what they'd experienced with their parents, many of them in the Great Depression, and some of the later ones with their parents experiencing World War II or experiencing both, as my parents did, they marched into the 50s and the 60s with all kinds of things. There was expanded educational opportunities, which many of them didn't take advantage of. As a matter of fact, Statistically, you can look at the numbers, and more women especially were getting college degrees, professional degrees, before that time than during that time. You wouldn't think that necessarily. But the strange thing happened was, especially with the women, and you had to say with the men too, because the men expected this and the women went along with it, I think. The men came back from the war, the boomers, and some of the silence, very, very few, then through Korea into the 50s, and 60s, and the women, instead of getting their education and professional training, became mothers and wives and thought that's what they ought to do. Not all of them, absolutely not all of them, but more than you would think. It became the norm then to have bigger families since then we had baby boomers, bunches of them. My parents had four children, all baby boomers. Well, during that time period, when they were young adults, starting to raise families, Rural electrical power expanded. The telephone became more common in more homes. The radio, which they had experienced in their youth, gave way to the television. The sacrifices they had made, their parents had made, and trained them to believe in, were modeled in that generation of silence then, as they marched into the jobs they could get to build homes and families as their first priority. First priority. Well. Let me tell you who some of these people were. They weren't so silent. I had a list probably of about 50. But here's a few. Clint Eastwood, Evil Knievel, Steve Martin, George Lucas, Rock Hudson, Jane Fonda, Elizabeth Taylor, Elvis Presley, Barbara Streisand, Jimi Hendrix. Those were all silence. Robert Kennedy, Colin Powell, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Nancy Pelosi. And that we ought to say, the only silent who ever became president is our president right now. They aspired, yes, to be leaders, but they didn't aspire to that highest level and make it. They weren't silent. There was a prophet of their generation. The prophet of their generation. I say the being the one most notable, Martin Luther King Jr. He was a silent. Was he silent? I don't think so. I remember myself hearing his speech, 1963, I have a dream. 
have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today, he said. Let me tell you a story about that. A friend of mine, now deceased, when I was serving in Fayetteville, she was part of my church. Betty, Betty was retired there then, but she was the first black nurse to serve in the U.S. Navy Nursing Corps. She left Fayetteville when she was high school age to St. Louis to live with family so she could continue her education because Fayetteville didn't have a high school for the black kids, and she wanted that education. Now, she's really something. She wasn't just the first black Navy nurse. She went on and got more education, and she became, I don't know which hospital it was, but she retired as the head administrator for one of the labs for one of the hospitals in New York City. That's the caliber person she was. Incredible, incredible woman. One of her best friends when she was growing up as a little girl, a little black girl in Fayetteville, was a white girl that lived about three blocks away. And the white girl's mother found out about it and separated them and they weren't able to talk anymore. When she moved back, she hunted down her friend who was then deceased though, but she found that friend's daughter. And the daughter said to her, oh, Betty, I'm so glad to meet you. My mother talked about you all the time. Martin Luther King's dream, which at the time was maligned by many people, could not be squashed. His prophecy of hope, kind of like comfort, comfort my people, or go out with joy, it hadn't happened yet. Still, It's still happening. It isn't totally there yet, but you see this prophet of the silent generation echoing something similar to what we heard from Isaiah as the people came returned from their exile. So the people for the silent generation as they changed the world. And the early silence and the later silence were quite different. It was the later silence who actually were mostly involved in the protest against Vietnam, not the baby boomers. We got caught up in it, but we weren't the instigators. <laughs> we weren't the instigators of the sexual revolution either. <clears throat> It was the silence, at least the later silence who did all that. And the later silence, mothers returned to work. These great pioneers of the civil rights movement, so many things happened. So many of those young women who went to college, if they did, just to earn their MRS degree, did, and raised families, and raised baby boomers, and some raised others who went on to do marvelous things. My own father, who came back from World War II, he actually joined the Navy when he was 17. Got in the last six months of the war, and then got out. Came back, married my mother. She gave up scholarships. She graduated the top of her class to marry my dad and begin this family. Dad went to college, tried to. After six weeks, he said he'd got on the train at that point in life and came back home because he was about to flunk out. Now, Dad wasn't dumb. He said, I was just having too much fun. <laughs> and I knew I wasn't going to make it at this point. <laughs> but he was a lifelong learner, and he put that in me. My mother and my father put that in me. And my sister. And my brothers. Go to school. Learn. Make everything of yourself you can. You see, these silence, they mirrored what happened with the folks in Judea who returned. 
They mirrored it so well that when they came back in the early part of the 50s and 60s, we saw, some of you remember this, <laughs> we saw a turn toward formality. The black suit and preachers here in the Midwest who had never worn a robe before, not like those uppity bunch in the East, <laughs> started wearing robes. And people loved it. They thought, oh, our pastor wears a robe. Their parents would never have thought that. You see, it was different. And only later, much, much later, did future generations move toward the kind of thing we have here in this service at this time. But remember the silence. They were not silent. And they hunted down in their life best they could the joy that hadn't been there when they were younger. Just as the people in Judea came back and begin to hunt down joy as best they could. But part of that was they become more formal, more rigid in some ways. But look at the results. Here we are today. God bless them. I'm grateful. Pray with me. Lord, we give you thanks for all of those men and women, many of whom are, of course, right here, right now, part of that silent generation who gave so much up to raise so many of us boomers, who worked so hard to make life better, who saw the world change around them, who saw air conditioning, who saw washing machines, who saw television sets and all kinds of things and exposed their children to these things that they never had when they were growing up. We give you thanks for this, that because of what they did, what they sacrificed, what they strove for, we are here today. We give you thanks for that. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.